let's say you take two compounds that by themselves are, you know, have X amount of hepatic stress. It may be maybe a better deal for some people. I mm-hmm. just can't say this for sure to use half of each of those. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, all of one, because then you have all those metabolites and whatever impact those ones are doing, which may overload the system. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the two may be, may be less, have less of a toxic load. Hey, what's going on, guys? On this segment of Muscle Minds, Scott and I discussed the three simple health strategies I used to drastically improve my hematocrit. I went from 57 to 50.1 in a matter of four weeks. We talk about why those things may have worked, and we discuss strategies for improving your hematocrit on cycle. If you're new here, welcome. We have several bodybuilding podcasts that come out each week. I would encourage you to subscribe. And of course, guys, if you enjoy our content, then do us a favor, hit the like button and leave us a comment. All that stuff helps to boost us in the algorithm. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings on some high-quality supplements. Uh, I'd be happy to give you suggestions and thoughts on uh, what I like to use from True Nutrition. Hit me up if you're interested. And, of course, uh, check out Scott's book, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. You can go to byobbcoach.com. Scott Thirst Trap Stevenson. It's a good book. Yeah, baby. You can get the hardcover yes. at Amazon, so definitely check that out. What's going on, if man? If you want more semi-nude selfies of me, just go to my new Instagram, which is Thirst Trap. The Thirst Tampa Trap. Thirst Trap. Yeah, Tampa <laughs> Thirst Trap 31, specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is. There's so know. many Tampa Thirst Traps that like they had to assign a number in order, you know. Yeah. I just couldn't get Tampa Thirst Trap by itself. We've got a uh, kind of a, a smaller segment that we are going to knock out here, um, and this has to do with lowering hematocrit. I had a really, uh, it was a cool experience uh, over, it's been about a, a month now uh, that this took place, and I didn't understand exactly what happened in this time. Uh, Scott explained to me why I got the results I did. So, you know, long story short, my hematocrit was 57. Okay. And that's high for me. I've been on TRT. Yeah. I've been on TRT and and even having been like on cycle in the past, my hematocrit was been like 55 at the high end. Um, And I I do scheduled therapeutic phlebotomy in those situations because I feel a lot better when it gets a little bit lower. So, you know, having been off gear for a long time, recovering from COVID, I wanted to go in and get checked. And honestly, the game plan was I figured my hematocrit's going to be awesome. I'm going to hop on some Anivar. I'm maybe going to add a little bit of test, and this is going to be great. And I'm going to really start boosting my recovery. So I get my blood work back, and it was 57. And honestly, I was kind of shocked, kind of depressed about it because it's not like this is something I had done to myself through you know the use of chems. Uh, anyway, I spoke with Dante Trudell. Uh, you know, great mind in our industry. You know, you guys hear us talk mm-hmm. about him, the creator of DC Training. He had suggested a few simple changes to me, which I followed. Uh, and, and about a month later, I was so surprised. My hematocrit was 50.1. And then uh, after that, it's now like 49. So it's got, I was shocked to see that I could change it that far. Having not, I didn't use any IP6, no inositol, no bloodletting to get from 57 to 50.1. 
that's it's it's ridiculous man to think that you can make yeah, that kind cool. of a change so yeah, well so people know that uh, ip6 or inositol those are chelating agents so those will chelate or bind up if you just google chelating that's a fancy word it starts with a ch c-h-e-l-a-t-i-n-g those bind up iron so if you don't have enough iron coming in that's going to slow the rate of erythropoiesis or, or red blood cell formation so that's how those would work over the long haul um, and of course the bloodletting is quote unquote phlebotomy you're just literally taking out the red blood cells so that will automatically reduce the number of red blood cells you have so the cool thing I think there's kind of two things that were, was, were going on and this is where we kind of I think this is just through a text message when I Maybe voice message. I, I think can't we remember it all sort of. I think we hopped together. on the phone about something. I maybe or maybe it was through voice message, but I do specifically remember yeah. talking about it. Um, yeah. Do you? I'll Must tell them just that the three. It was three simple changes that I did. Number one is I removed red meat. Uh, number two is I removed vitamin C, and number three is Dante said do as much cardio as you can. I went from sporadically doing cardio. Uh, for 30 minutes, maybe a few times a week. I wasn't consistent with it to doing at least 30 minutes a day, every day, including I'm back to training several days a week. And that was it. Those were the only changes I made. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. So one, the heme form of iron that you get from red meat is more bioavailable and um, the vitamin C will help with that. So you sort of limited your intake of iron. So instead of like trying to bind up the iron with the chelating agent, you, you just limited how much is coming in, which is a good, a good uh, strategy, of course, because it kind of worked out. The other thing I think that we may have talked about, we mentioned it before when we were trying to figure out what topics to go into, is that with the COVID that you've had, um, and that can severely affect your lungs, it's one of the main things that a lot of people kind of find as a um, sort of a lasting side effect is an impact on their ventilatory capacity. So the lungs get really... Um, adversely affected is that you can end up having um, and I think you said I think you maybe told me this that you had reduced hemoglobin saturation I know when the hospital I think you said it was like 78 something like that I can't they remember now honestly okay <laughs> I think that's yeah. the number you told me which is low okay so normally essentially your hemoglobin at sea level is going to be 96 98 percent bound Okay. Um, meaning after, after the in the in the arterial blood that's passed through the lungs, the hemoglobin has picked up the oxygen. That's the purpose of the ventilation to bring the oxygen in, get the carbon dioxide out. You also have a buffering capacity that has, happens when you're removing CO2. That's the bicarbonate buffering system that's involved there. And there's also um, carbon dioxide that can bound protein bound and just dissolved in the blood too. So getting that oxygen on there normally it's you're fully loaded. Um, but if you've got a diffusion issue because your lungs aren't are, are, are scarred, for instance, or they're inflamed, and your pulmonary capillary transit time isn't quite adequate given those other issues to fully load the hemoglobin, instead of like you know walking out of the store with the you know five grocery bags full of oxygen in each hand, which is the max you can handle, you've only got four. Okay. Um, so what happens then? Say so you're you you got a team of shoppers that go in for you, and they're ideally in a normal situation. They each have five bags in each hand, and you've got ten of them. So you bring out you know a uh, hundred bags. Yeah. So ten for each person. In this case, because you're not loading the hemoglobin very well because of the issues due to COVID, <clears throat> your body says, "Well, we still need to get that oxygen." It's there's you're still sensing this. The kidneys are actually 
sensing this in large part because they're responsible for erythropoietin production, which then stimulates red blood, red blood cell production in the bone marrow. Um, you get an elevation of erythropoietin, which stimulates erythropoiesis, and you get more red blood cells. So now knowing that you're, instead of five bags per annual, you only got four, well, we need to up the ante. We need to have more workers so that we can still have 100 bags of oxygen mm. coming out of the grocery store each each time the blood's passing through there. Yeah. So this is one of the things that happened. I think we mentioned before. It's a different situation, but when you're at altitude, um, this will this will happen pretty pretty um, um, universally. This is why in the endurance training world, we're having more red blood cells important. There's this idea of live high and train low. So you live at altitude. Yeah. You go to al- you go to altitude. You have actually less barometric pressure. You don't have a reduction reduction in the percentage of oxygen, but the less pressure driving the oxygen on there. So you're not able to get all the bags of oxygen groceries in your grocery store. Mm. And you have the same situation. You have hemoglobin desaturation, like you're probably experiencing. So what happens with the long haul is you're trying to erythropoiesis. Then you have a higher blood blood cell count. And you, that's one way of quote unquote blood doping. Yeah. At least the natural way. The endurance athletes will use erythropoietin, which is of course illegal or banned. Um, or they will do blood doping where they do an autologous infusion. They take their own red blood cells that they've taken out and stored and then they add those back to elevate their hematocrit. And what that does is for every, any amount of blood that's pumped by the heart, which is the a central limiter of oxygen delivery, you're going to get more oxygen there because you've got more hemoglobin via having more red blood cells. So that's probably what's happening with you with the COVID is you elevated your red blood cell count and your hematocrit because you weren't able to load oxygen very well under your, under your, um, uh, on your red blood cells because of the issues with your lungs. So that probably, but then here's the, what the cool part is you did all those other things with the vitamin C and the, and the, in the meat, you started doing cardio which probably I'm guessing this is just an armchair exercise physiologist, wild ass guess. It's a wag theory. One of my structures to call it is that you probably that evokes some healing in the lungs. You know, there's remodeling that happens in tissues when they're stressed. That's what happens with the muscle. That's how, what, why muscle grows when you train it. Um, you get more capillaries in the lungs and in the heart, even too, um, due to the exercise stresses. So you probably made your lungs better, and helped heal your lungs from, and they were going to heal probably on their own too, as you were recovering from COVID hmm. in a way that reduced that stress of not getting enough oxygen onto the red blood cells. Hmm. And just the, the fact that your lungs were getting, were healing and becoming more healthy and better able to get oxygen from the air onto the red blood cells yeah. probably was going to help bring your hematocrit down anyway. So there's that effect just of the exercise and the healing. So those two things coupled, I think, probably were cool. And the other thing, which you, you, you remember, which is also very, very nice, and um, this is a, an effect that's seen uh, pretty quickly, actually. It comes and goes fairly rapidly, um, which is cool, is that when you initiate an endurance exercise program, training program, you'll get an elevation of blood volume pretty acutely in a matter of a few days. Okay. What happens is your, 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 your system responds and you produce more albumin, which pulls more, um, which increases the plasma volume. So now if you're exercising and your maximal cardiac output, 
um, your maximal cardiac output is a function of basically how much blood is going into the heart. Mm. So the heart's very, very cool. Um, the more it receives, the more it can pump out. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, this is called this is called the Frank Starling mechanism. For people who want to look this up, so um, you can take hearts in isolation, and if you literally just because of these intrinsic mechanisms in the cardiac muscle, the heart muscle makes skeletal muscle it puts it to shame. Hmm. Heart muscle is just absolutely energetically phenomenal, and I mean it's kicking ass all day long, every friggin' day of your life for you know, decades upon decades, 70 years on average or more, yeah. right? That's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> you can take heart muscles and just feed them with artificial blood and you can give them ketones, fatty acids, glucose, lactate, pyruvate, metabolites of glycolysis. It will take that shit in and use it for fuel. Hmm. Almost like there's there are a couple exceptions. Glycerol, give it anything. It's kind of like, imagine you had a vehicle that said, you know, I don't care if you put alcohol in there, motor oil, diesel, gasoline, name the petrol, whatever it is, I'll use it all. That's basically what your heart can do. That's crazy. So heart can it's it's bad. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, because kind of like your brain, if your heart's not working, then that's it. That's the end. The brain's gone. We protect the brain. The heart we just made the heart a badass, and then we protect the brain at all costs in various ways. So like for instance, talking about growth hormones sort of producing insulin resistance so that you don't rob the brain of glucose in a situation where fuel availability is low. Growth hormone increases fatty acid availability and reduces glucose availability so that the brain can have it. The brain would prefer that. So the kind of, you know, kind of cool physiologist, me geeking out on how badass the body can be and human bodies are weak in comparison. But you take the heart and the more blood volume that comes into it, the more it will pump out. Mm -hmm. So you can feed it more. So having a higher blood volume overall, more plasma, means that you have a car higher cardiac output overall. So if I have a higher cardiac output overall, this is uh, helpful for delivering oxygen because now having max cardiac output of 20 liters per minute, if you increase your blood volume by 10%, which is about what happens acutely over the course of a few days or maybe a week, now you can go from 20% to 22%. And what that means basically is now you've increased your VO2 max just via that mechanism. Wow. About 10%. Wow. So that's the thing that happens too. So the fact that you've increased your blood volume is an adaptation to enhance endurance performance. Um, for what it's worth, um, horses, for instance, also have a, a cool mechanism. They, they, will, uh, they will store uh, blood Cell, red blood cells in their spleen and during exercise release those into the bloodstream no kidding during the course of exercise yeah like literally huh. squirt them out so they can be used and then they'll be taken up at rest yeah and just, that'll just they call upon like they it's like they have nitro you know they press yeah. the nitro button and they put more red blood cells in the that's in the actually system. exactly what i was imagining so let me yeah. be straight or let me be clear make sure that i'm i'm straight with this is this one point yeah yeah this might get to look okay. almost there so, so that's the cool part about the blood volume and the plasma. What that also does for you, this is kind of where I was leading to. Okay. Um, didn't mean to interrupt you, but is that that also dilutes the red blood cells. That's where I was going. So that 10%, that's the whole point of this okay. from, from the perspective of trying to reduce um, viscosity, which is going to, of course, reduce the, the, the working um, impact on the heart to pump all that blood. It's, if you, it's overly viscous. It's harder on the heart. 
Yeah. It's one of the issues with like, there's been cyclists who have, who have more than likely caused their own demise huh. because they abuse, so to speak, erythropoietin and increase their blood, the red blood cells so high that the blood's now so viscous. They're so pa- overly packed with red blood cells that the heart can't keep up with the pumping and it, uh, it creates issues. Hmm. But yeah, that's the whole point of the cardio is to have that, have that effect on, on, uh, diluting the red blood cells and then thereby reducing your hematocrit. That is so fascinating. So, so the amount of hematocrit, yeah, cool. the, this is what I, my take home message that I got from you with this is that, so I did not get rid of these, like my hematocrit was really, I had the same amount, but I just had more plasma so now the reading is lower because it's the it's it's reduced per you know in the volume. I can't say for sure. Okay. You know what actually happened to the absolute mass of the red blood cells? Okay. Um, you know, there's I'm not even going to get into like what's going on with COVID and the spike proteins and what that can do to just the cellular integrity in general. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's something there. Chances are there is there's a long half life a long duration of red blood cells. But if you gave it a month, then you, you probably brought down the total absolute mass of the red blood cells that you had. Okay. Um, I wouldn't guess from that 10% increase in volume, which is kind of an average, um, that you would have, uh, that doesn't account for the, the change in your hematocrit, which yeah. was on a percent basis greater than a 10% change in hematocrit. Um, mm. But so that was part of it. I think you had several things at work there. Um, I mean, who knows, like, I doubt this was the case too, like with, with highly entrained, highly advanced, uh, and you know, endurance athletes doing a lot of training, like you even get something called foot strike hemolysis okay. where they can actually end up with a, a even lower hematocrit than you might expect from that blood volume expansion because hemolysis is, is a, a breakage um, destruction of the heme carrying blood cells. So the red huh. blood cells literally are burst in this case from you're stepping on them Wow! because the, the blood's, blood's flowing through the underside of your foot. And like a little, that's the idea is that runners, if you're doing a lot of walking, you know, will strike them. That probably wasn't happening, but that could have been, you know, like a small percentage. So, say. okay. Um, so I guess, um, in, in this case, how would this, uh, affect, a, a steroid user, a guy who say, it is, you know, on a cycle, you know, traditionally we'd say like, oh, EQ is going to be something that, you know, your, your, your blood numbers could rise. Uh, would this potentially be an option to fix that? I would always, my first, first inclination is to go to the source of the issue. Okay. So I think I've even heard maybe Dave Crossland talk about this sort of thing is if EQ, for instance, is something that, you know, which is known for elevate your hematocrit unsafe levels then maybe if that's a primary concern you've got a family history of you know cardiovascular disease and your blood lipids aren't great overall then drop back the eq like or take it out like you know remove the uh the primary reason the root of the issue which is the eq and find something that doesn't do that you know um another thought just from a pure pharmacological perspective is that everyone has their own personal dose response mm. in terms of things. So the bodybuilding perspective that generally a lot of us have, because it's, it's sort of the nature of the beast that more is better, right. maybe doesn't behoove someone when it comes to this. So 
you know, someone might, if you, and I was just talking, uh, I don't know, did you do your interview with Ken Kanakin in the last I did. week or so? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did too. I was I right after, I was a little bit after you, a day or so after you. Okay, okay, cool. So Ken and I got into drugs. Like we didn't even, we didn't cover the questions that he had planned. Or anything. We didn't, <laughs> didn't even touch on it. Like we just got into biological interindividuality. Um, so if people want to hear me ramble about that, that there's going to be like, we went for an hour and a half, I think. I think it's out now um, too. Oh, is it? Okay. Yep. Yeah, maybe I, I have to catch up. So, uh, but one of the things that um, talked about was how many var- how, how variable things are mm-hmm. for people. So, and one of the things I brought up in the, actually the context of women in PEDs and Victoria's name came up several times is that if you think about a man producing on average a eugonadal man who's got normal testosterone levels seven to ten milligrams of testosterone a day, mm-hmm. and so that's you know hundred that's where you get these values like a hundred being you know sort of your standard HRT one fifty with milligrams if you're talking about with the ester on top of that adding to the weight of the the testosterone preparation. Um, when you're talking about using 300 milligrams of EQ, it's not directly and exactly equivalent to 300 milligrams of testosterone. You're still way beyond what the system is sort of tuned to, yeah. Sensitivity-wise, you know, you go low in the testosterone range, you're at 400, 500, you're not feeling so great. You go to a thousand, you're feeling pretty good, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, you know, that's the range. And then you go like someone starts doing a gram of test, you're way beyond the range. Sure. If you do EQ at three or four or 500 milligrams a week relative to 100 milligrams total androgens from testosterone essentially that's so far beyond that if you think of things in that context it's like you know maybe i can get um 70 of the impact of eq on muscle growth that i'm looking for Mm. by using just you know 50 milligrams as an example not a prescription right 50 milligrams three times a week 150 milligrams a week Still, that supersedes what you know eugonadal androgen production would be, hmm. as opposed to 450, yeah. where I get my where I get the impact on my hematocrit. Hmm. So you get at 450, you max out what you can get from EQ. I mean, some people go to a gram of EQ, that kind of stuff, and they get anxiety and all sorts of crazy issues. Um, and that probably is going to elevate your hematocrit in most people, but not yeah. not necessarily everyone. But so think about that. I can get seventy percent of the impact from EQ and have literally no noticeable or or um, impactful effect on my hematocrit, but I'm getting you know over half the effect. So then I I put something else in there, which isn't necessarily a bad idea. Stacking can cause a synergistic effect because of you know different mechanisms potentially related to antigen binding at the antigen receptors, the different ones there are. Um, and also, you you may, and this is why I wish for more data. You may actually be doing yourself a service in terms of the overall toxic load that you get. So sure. there's you know particular um, P450 enzyme that is the only one I think it's CYP34A maybe or 3A4 that's commonly the one uh, that I see listed as involved with steroid metabolism. Really, but it it hmm. could be yeah. There's 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 one maybe two, mm-hmm. but there's probably differential impact on those enzymes and how well uh, different antigens are metabolized by the liver. So take you know one compound versus two compounds. You may actually be re- reducing stress. Let's say you take two compounds that by themselves are you know have X amount of hepatic stress. 
it may be maybe a better deal for some people. I mm-hmm. just can't say this for sure to use half of each of those. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, all of one, because then you have all those metabolites and whatever impact those ones are doing, which may overload the system. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the two may be, may be less, have less of a toxic load. Nice. And I think back to this podcast we did with, with Lats, Casey Reed, talked about the guy, I think he was Russian or Ukrainian. Yeah who had figured out his own system where he kind of had a max load of different antigens above which the side effects were too much for himself. And he, he figured those out on an individual basis. So let's say it's 200 milligrams for one steroid and 200 milligrams for another. He could go to 200 milligrams, which is sort of his limit. And then he could add another one on top of that. Mm-hmm. His total antigens was double that, but he didn't have, because they were different antigens, his personal experience was such that uh, he didn't have the toxicity effects that he would have gotten if he used 400 milligrams of just one steroid. Yeah. So there may be something to say for someone who's like, you know, EQ gives me elevated hematocrit. You know, if I use it at 450, it's like, well, may, what happens if you go to 150? You don't get any impact. And then you use something else or two other things at lower lower levels. This is what Victor Black does to some degree. I'm not trying to speak for Victor, but... You know, Victor's general strategy is to is to literally use um, uh, sort of something close to least effective or effective doses that with with minimal side effects for multiple compounds, yeah. which would then have you know different pathways of detoxification and elimination, so that you don't overstress any particular sim- uh, system. And it makes or total sense. Metabolic pathway, it does. Yeah. It does. So. That's where you, plus you get the synergy from stacking. So it might be that you know, um, 150 milligrams of, of EQ and 100 milligrams of something else might give you the same more than you get from 450 milligrams of EQ. Yeah, um, but you're not getting side effects from either of those at those particular doses because they're so low. Cool. Well, this is some so good uh, that's food my for first thought. thought on the hematocrit. Yeah, and the I gear. like that. Yeah. And so just to kind of sum that back up, guys, that was uh, somebody asked on, on the live feed here, nope, no IP6, no inositol, just simply cardio, removed vitamin C, and removed red meat, and uh, that was it. I've had a lot of questions, so I figured uh, we could throw that out there, and I appreciate you taking the time to explain it to us, Scott. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, guys, for another episode of Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson, I'm Scott McNally. We'll see you guys soon.